0: Section eighteen of Stories from the Fairy Queen This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Recording by Sean Michael Hogan. Stories from the Fairy Queen by Mary MacLeod How the Good Horse Brigador knew its own master While everyone was busied about Florimel, and in hearing the truth about Braggadoccio, Sir Guyon, as it befell, came forward from the thickest of the crowd to claim his own good steed, which Bragadocio had stolen long ago. Seizing the golden bit with one hand, he drew his sword with the other, for he meant to smite the thief heavily, and had he not been held, he would certainly have done so. Then a great hurly-burly rose in the hall because of that war-horse, for Bragadocio would not let him pass, and Sir Guyon was quite resolved to have him, or to put the matter to the proof over his dead body the uproar being perceived by Artegall, he drew near to stay the tumult and began to ask how the steed had been taken away whether extorted by might or stolen by cunning then sir guillon told him about the knight and the lady whom he and the palmer had found and to avenge whom he had gone on his quest against the wicked enchantress acrasia he described how when he had gone into the thicket to help the dying lady his horse had been purloined by craft for which he now challenged the thief to fight But Braggadocio would by no means consent to this, for he hated such doings, and would rather lose than make trial of his right by an appeal to arms. Sir Artegall, hearing this, might then have handed over the horse to Sir Guillaume, for according to knightly custom there was no need to try one's cause by the law of arms, if a foe refused to meet one in the field. But wishing to establish Guillaume's claim properly, he asked him to describe any secret token borne by the horse. "'If that will satisfy you,' said Sir Guillaume, There is within his mouth a black spot, shaped like a horse's shoe, for anyone who cares to seek for it. In order to test this, someone took hold of the horse to look into his mouth, but the creature immediately struck at him so savagely with his heels that he broke his ribs to pieces. Another, who seemed to have a little more sense, took him by the bright embroidered headstall, but the horse bit him so sharply on the shoulder that he was quite disabled nor would he open his mouth to a single person until sir guyon himself spoke to him and called him by his name brigador the instant the horse understood his voice he stood stock-still and allowed every one to see the secret mark and when his master called him by name he broke all his fastenings with joy and gleefully followed him frisking and prancing and bending his head in submission Thereupon Sir Artegall plainly saw to whom he belonged, and said, "'Lo, there, Sir Guillaume, take to yourself the steed, arrayed as he is in his golden saddle, and let that worthless fellow fare hence on foot, until he has gained a horse.' But the vain braggart began to rate and revile Sir Artegall for giving such an unjust judgment against him. The knight was so incensed at his insolence that he was tempted to punish him, and thrice he laid his hand on his sword to slay him. But Sir Guillaume pacified Sir Artegall saying it would only dishonour him to wreak his wrath on a churl like that. It would be punishment enough that everyone saw his disgrace. Then Talus seized the boaster, and dragging him out of the hall inflicted this punishment on him. First he shaved off his beard, then he took his shield and turned it upside down and blotted out the device, and then he broke his sword in two and scattered all his armour. After that he openly scourged him out of the court, so should all traitors who shame true chivalry be banished with infamy from among brave knights, for their evil doings often bring disgrace on just merit. THE ADVENTURE OF THE TWO BROTHERS AND THE COFFER When the wedding festivities of Marinel and Florimel were over, Sir Artegall left the castle of the Strand to follow his first quest, and the only person who went with him to help him was his servant Talus, the Iron Man. As he passed along the seashore he chanced to come where two comely squires were having an angry quarrel. They were brothers, but were just now stirred up by some matter of debate. Two good-looking damsels stood beside them, trying by every means to soothe their ire, now by fair words, but words did little good, now by threats, but threats only made them angrier. Before them stood a strong coffer, fast bound on every side with iron bands, but seeming to have received much injury either by being wrecked upon the shore, or by being carried far from foreign lands. It appeared as if it were for this coffer the squires were fighting, and though the ladies kept interfering to prevent their furious encounter, yet they were firmly resolved to try their rights by dint of sword. Thus they both stood ready to meet in cruel combat when Sir Artigal, happily arriving, stopped for a while their greedy bickering till he had inquired the cause of their dispute, to whom the elder made this answer you must know sir we are two brothers to whom our father Melicio by name equally bequeathed his land two islands which you see there before you not far off in the sea of these the one appears but like a little mount of small size yet it was as great and wide not many years ago as that other island which is now so much larger but the course of time which destroys everything and this devouring sea which spares nothing have washed away the greater part of my land and thrown it up to my brother's share so his is increased but mine is lessened before which time i loved as it happened the maid over there called philtra the fair with whom i should have received a goodly dower and to whom i was to have been married at that time my younger brother amadas loved the other damsel lucy to whom but little dower was allotted her virtue was the dowry that delighted and what better dowry can a lady possess But now when Philtra saw my land's decay, and my former livelihood fail, she left me, and went over to my brother, who, taking her from me, completely deserted his own love. Lucy, seeing herself forsaken, in despair flung herself into the sea, thinking to take away her grief by death. But see how her purpose was foiled, whilst beaten to and fro amidst the billows, hovering between life and death, she chanced unawares to light upon this coffer, which offered to her in her danger hope of life. The wretched maiden who had formerly desired death, now that she had had a taste of it, began to repent that she had been so foolish, and caught hold of the sea-beaten chest, which, after long tossing in the rough waves, at last rested on my island. Here I, wandering by chance on the shore, espied her, and with some difficulty helped to save her from the jaws of death which threatened to swallow her up. In recompense for this she then bestowed on me those goods which fortune had given her, together with herself a free gift." both goodly portions but herself the better of the two in this coffer which she brought with her we found a great treasure which we took as our own and so considered it but this other damsel philtra my brother's wife pretends now that the treasure belongs to herself that she transported the same by sea to bring it to her newly made husband but suffered shipwreck by the way whether it be so or not i cannot say but whether it indeed be so or not this i do say that whatsoever good or ill providence or fortune throws to me not purposely wronging any one else i hold as my own and will so hold it still and though amadas first won away my land and then my love though now that matters little yet he shall not also make prey of my good luck but i will defend it as long as ever i can Bracadas, the elder brother having thus spoken the younger one followed on It is quite true what my brother here has declared to you about the land, but the dispute between us is not for that, but for this treasure, thrown upon his shore, which I can prove as shall appear by trial to belong to this lady, to whom I am married. It is well known by good marks and perfect witnesses, and therefore it ought to be rendered to her without denial. When they had thus ended, the knight spoke, Truly it would be easy to reconcile your strife, if you would submit it to some just man. Unto yourself! they both cried. We give you our word to abide the judgment you pronounce to us. Then, in token that you will accept my verdict, let each lay down his sword upon my foot, said Sir Artegall. and then you shall hear my sentence. So each of them laid down his sword out of his hand. Then Artegall spoke thus to the younger brother, Now tell me, Amidas, if you can, by what good right do you withhold to-day that part of your brother's land which the sea has plucked away from him and laid on your share?' What other right, quoth Amidas, would you deem valid, except that the sea laid it to my share? Your right is good, said Sir Artigal, and so I judge it. That which the sea sent unto you should be your own. Then, turning to the elder brother, he spoke thus. Now, Bracadas, let this likewise be plain. Your brother's treasure, which has strayed from him, being well known to be the dowry of his wife, by what right do you claim this to be your own? What other right, quoth Bracadas, would you deem valid, except that the sea has thrown it unto me? Your right is good, said Sir Article, and so I judge it. That which the sea sent unto you should be your own, for equal things have equal rights. What the mighty sea has once possessed and quite plucked from its owner's hands, whether by the rage of the unresting waves, or tempest, or shipwreck, it may dispose of by its imperial might to whomever it chooses as a thing left at random. So in the first place, Amidas, the land was declared to be yours, and so in like manner, Bracidas, the treasure is yours by right. When Sir Article had thus pronounced sentence, both Amidas and Filterer were displeased, but Bracidas and Lucy were very glad, and immediately took possession of the treasure in accordance with the judgment. So their discord was appeased by this sentence, and each one had his right, and Sir Article, having stopped their contention, went on his way. RADIGAND, QUEEN OF THE AMAZONS As Sir Artegall travelled on his way, he saw far off a crowd of many people, to whom he hastened, in order to discover the cause of such a large assembly. When he came near, he saw a strange sight, a troop of women clad in warlike fashion, with weapons in their hands, as if ready to fight, and in the midst of them he saw a knight, with both hands pinioned behind him, and round about his neck a halter tight, ready prepared for the gallows. His head was bare, and his face covered, so that it was not easy to distinguish him. He went along with a heavy heart, grieved to the soul, and groaning inwardly that he should die so base a death at the hands of women. But they, like merciless tyrants, rejoiced at his misery, and reviled him, and sorely reproached him with bitter taunts and terms of disgrace. When Artigal, arriving at the place, asked what cause had brought the man to destruction, The women swarmed eagerly around him, meaning to lay their cruel hands on him, and to do him some unexpected mischief. But he was soon aware of their evil mind, and drawing back, defeated their intention. He was ashamed to disgrace himself by fighting with women, so he sent Talus to punish them for their rash folly. With a few strokes of his iron flail, the latter speedily dispersed their troop, and sent them home to tell a piteous tale of their vain prowess, turned to their own injury. The wretched men doomed to death they left behind them glad to be quit of them. Talus soon set him at liberty, and released him from his horror at such a shameful death, unfitting a knight, which he dreaded more than loss of life. And uncovering his face, he brought him to his master, who then knew him at once. "'Sir Turpin!' cried Artigo. "'Hapless man, what are you doing here? Have you lost yourself and your senses? Or have you, who can boast of subduing men, yielded to the oppression of women?' Or what other deadly misfortune has fallen on you, that you have run so foolishly far astray as to lead yourself to your own destruction? The man was so confused, partly with shame, partly with dismay, that he stood lost in astonishment, and could find little to say in excuse. You may justly term me hapless, who am brought to this shame, and am to-day made the scorn of knighthood, was his only answer. But who can escape fate? The work of heaven's will surpasses human thought. "'True,' said Sir Artigal, "'but faulty men often attribute their own folly to fate, "'and lay on heaven the guilt of their own crimes. "'But tell me, Sir Turpin, "'and do not let your misery daunt you "'how you fell into this state.' "'Since you needs will know my shame,' said the knight, "'and all the ill which has lately chanced to me, "'I will briefly relate it, "'and do not turn my misfortune to my blame. "'Being desirous as all knights are "'to try deeds of arms through hard adventures "'and to hunt after fame and honor." I heard a report which flew far abroad, that a proud Amazon lately bade defiance to all brave knights, and wrought them all the villainy her malice could devise, putting some to shame, and doing many of them to death. The cause of her hate is for the sake of a knight called Bellodant the Bold, whom a short time ago she liked greatly, and tried in every way to attract. But finding nothing of any avail, her love turned to hatred, and for his sake she vowed to do all the ill she could to other knights which vow she now fulfils. For all those knights whom by force or guile she subdues, she treats shamefully. First she despoils them of their armour, and clothes them in women's garments. Then with threats she compels them to work to earn their food, to spin, to card, to sew, to wash, to wring. She gives them nothing to eat but bread and water, or some such feeble food, to disable them from attempting revenge but if with manly disdain any of them withstand her insolent commands, she causes them to be immediately hanged on that gibbet over there, in which condition I stood just now. For being conquered by her in fight, and put to the base service of her band, I chose rather to die than to live that shameful life, unworthy of a knight.' "'What is the name of that Amazon?' asked Artigo. "'And where, and how far hence does she live?' Her name is called Radagund, replied Sir Turpin, a princess of great power and greater pride, queen of the Amazons, well-tried in arms and sundry battles, which she has achieved with great success, and which have won her much glory and fame. Now, by my faith, said Sir Artegall, I will not rest till I have tested her power, and avenged the shame that she shows to knights, therefore sir turpin throw from you those squalid clothes the pattern of despair and go with me that you may see and know how fortune will repair your ruined name and knighthood whose praise she would tarnish sir turpin joyfully threw off his iron fetters and eagerly prepared to guide the way to the dwelling of the amazon which was not more than a mile or two distant a goodly and a mighty city called after her own name radagon on their arrival they were immediately espied by the watchman "'who warned all the city of the appearance of three warlike persons, "'of whom one seemed like a knight fully armed, "'and the other two likely to prove dangerous. "'The people ran at once to put on their armour, "'swarming in a cluster like bees, "'and before long their queen herself, looking half like a man, "'came forth into the crowd and began to set them in array. "'And now the knights, being arrived near, "'beat upon the gates to enter in, "'threatening the porter who had scorned them for being so few "'to tear him to pieces if they won the city.' When Radigund heard them, her heart was torn with rage. She bade her people to unbar the gates at once, and to make way for the knights with well-prepared weapons. As soon as the gates were set open, the knights pressed forward to make an entrance, but midway they were met by a sharp shower of arrows, which stopped them. Then all the mob attacked them savagely, heaping strokes so fast on every side, and with such a hail of arrows, that the knights could not withstand them but radigand herself when she espied sir turpin freed from her cruel doom was suddenly seized with a fit of fury and flying at him like a lioness smote him so fiercely that he fell to the ground then she leaped to him and placed her foot on his neck when sir article saw the knight's peril he sprang at once to his rescue and assailed radigand with such vigour that he drove her back for a moment she was stunned but as soon as she collected her senses she turned on sir article half mad with revengeful anger and pride for she had never suffered such a rebuff. But before they could meet and fight, her maidens flocked round her so fast that they parted them, in spite of their valour, and kept them far asunder. But amongst the others the fight lasted till the evening. And all the while the great iron man sorely vexed the Amazons with his strange weapon, to which they had never been accustomed in war. He chased and outran them, and broke their bows, and spoilt their shooting, so that not one of them all dared to go near him, They scattered like sheep before a wolf, and fled before him through all the fields and valleys. But when the daylight grew dim with the shadows of night, Radagund, with the sound of a trumpet, caused her people to cease fighting, and gathering them to the gate of the city made them all enter, and had the weak and wounded conveyed in before she would retreat herself. When the field was thus empty and all things quiet, Sir Artegall, weary with toil and travel, caused his pavilion to be richly prepared in full view of the city gate. He himself, together with Sir Turpin, rested here in safety all that night, but Talus was accustomed, in times of jeopardy, to keep a nightly watch for fear of treachery. Radigund, full of heart-gnawing grief for the rebuke she had met that day, could take no rest nor relief, but tossed about in her mind in what way she could revenge her disgrace. Then she resolved to try her fortune in single fight herself, rather than see her people destroyed, as she had seen that day. She called to her a trusty maid, named Clorinda, whom she thought fittest for the business, and said to her, Go, damsel, quickly, get ready to do the message which I shall tell you. Go, you, to the stranger knight, who yesterday drove us to such distress. Tell him that to-morrow I will fight with him, and try in a fair field which is the mightier. But these conditions you must propound to him, that if I vanquish him he shall obey my law, and ever be bound to do my bidding. And so will I, if he vanquish me, whatever he shall like to do or say." go straight, and take with you as witness six of your companions of the highest rank, and carry with you wine and rich delicacies, and bid him eat. Henceforth he shall often sit hungry. The damsel instantly obeyed, and putting all in readiness, went forth to the town-gate, where, sounding a trumpet loudly from the wall, she sent warning to the warrior knights. Then Talus, issuing from the tent, took his way fearlessly to the wall, to know what that sounding of the trumpet meant. Whereupon the damsel called to him, and explained that she wished to parley with his lord. Then he conducted them at once to his master, who gave them a cordial greeting, and to whom they told their message, word for word. Sir Artegall, gladly accepting it, entertained them with fitting courtesy, and gave them rich and handsome gifts. So they turned their steps homeward again, but Artegall went back to rest, that he might be fresher against the next day's fight. End of section eighteen. Recording by Shawn Michael Hogan. St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada.